This week on Progeny Podcast, I'm joined by Yusra Mehdi, ex-journalist, currently working in NGOs, a wife and a mother. And we're going to talk about her role in journalism, Iraqi politics, the rise of ISIS, the fall of ISIS, and her participating in jiu-jitsu. So, Yusra, thank you for joining us. Uh, so much to talk about. I know. Uh, so, I'll crack on. Um, and firstly, ask you about, um, I know you're not doing it anymore, but how you got into journalism and um, what uh, inspired you to get into that? Yeah, that's a, a long journey I went on. Um, well, it's it's weird how I got into journalism because um, my degree and my master's um, degree, it wasn't in journalism. It was in my bachelor's was in sociology and my master's was in human rights and international relations. So it's it's so weird I got into media. I think it was just a first job I landed in, which was um, uh, they, they were starting the first English news bulletin mm-hmm. um, at Tijar's channel and they wanted news reporters or news editors. And I said, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll give it a try. And then ever since I was stuck in that... <laughs> in the whole newsroom news stuff so yeah that's how I got into it and I I don't know there's something about it that it it keeps you inside but at the same time you feel like you're racing with everyone because media is because we have the social media now and I started in 2013 when Twitter was a thing and Facebook obviously was already uh, very much established but yeah, I found myself like racing with everyone else and it was very exciting and we were discussing world politics. There was there was a lot going on. There was Syria, there was Iraq. Um, we, I remember the, the bulletin we did was, although it was a European bulletin, um, it was when Ukraine went through its civil war. So that was our focus. But mm-hmm. there was so much going on, and you feel like you're always like in the middle of a, of a, of a tornado, and you're. It's exciting. To but be in. Yeah, exactly, and especially when you've just finished um, university, and <clears throat> there isn't much going on after uni, and you're just part of this like exciting um, uh, story, you know, and you're you're part of it. You feel like you're part of it, and then you're sharing stuff and. And especially when you get one of your tweets or one of your posts, they go viral. You get, oh my God, this is so exciting. Yeah, this is what you think about. Uh, So yeah, I was really like stuck in media. I wouldn't say stuck, but I I really enjoyed it for a good five years. You say stuck, maybe now that you left, you feel you were stuck. You didn't feel you were stuck when you were doing it. I think towards the end, I felt like I'm stuck you know i'm 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 here at one point there's just so much negativity that you feel like i don't want to be part of this anymore and because news is funny or or journalism is funny you're following problems mm-hmm. I, I remember we used to always say because uh, we had this news news bulletin every day and we have we, we have to produce something we always say, oh, imagine there's no news. There are no problems. We have nothing to write about. So we you, wait, you wait for the problems. You wait for the problems. And and when you go back home, you realize, oh, my God, I live on other people's misery. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. If there is no war, if there is no 
political <coughs> political war uh now that we have trump it's even more interesting so if there is no uh, this conflict really it's a very boring field <laughs> mm-hmm. so um i felt like towards the end because you know when you when you grow older i'm not that old but i'm just saying mm-hmm. <laughs> when you grow older you realize okay what is it what what's my contribution to this world mm-hmm. is it is my contribution to be part of this problem all the time that you know when there is a war in syria when there is a war in yemen i have a job i i, I live off this thing mm-hmm. So I just it clicked me. I was like I'm actually making money out of problems. So uh I think in 2018 towards the end when I was traveling a lot, I was uh, I went to Geneva, I went around Iraq <clears throat> and I just felt there's going to be a time in my life where I think okay, what's the positive thing that I contributed to? You know, what what what's my role, you know? And if it's just you know i was okay some people would say yeah you tr- the, we're the truth tellers that's not really the case i just realized media is very much driven by um politicians by movements it's not really independent it's not really your voice before no. before we d- we we started the interview you said something which i want to which i want to pick up on you said okay. i realized and you've mentioned it now again you said I realized I, I I was part of the problem. Yeah, I was, yeah. What, what does that mean? And like you've mentioned it now again. What does part of the problem mean? You, how are you part of the problem if there's Be- a conflict happening in yeah. Iraq between that's you know when you were doing it between ISIS and 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 the Iraqis and why were you part of that problem if you were just telling Because, the news? Yeah, when you tell the news if if there is a problem, for example, there is a war um the, let's say ISIS, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're you're talking about uh, your Uh, sometimes there are especially when you're not on the ground and you're you're from the outside and you're writing about it you're spreading the news you f- it feels like you're making the problem bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and when you go because that's what happened to me in 2018 after so many years in media i went on the ground and i realized that's not what people want They don't want you to just tell the story. They want solutions. Mm-hmm. And then I realized is the solution just talking about it? Because you talk about it and then people get involved, but it just grows and grows and grows. That's not really a solution. The solutions need to be very rooted. Uh people have to be involved in that in that solution. They have to be in, be involved in the solution. It feels like in media people who are living that conflict they don't have a say in the solutions because other people are deciding Making the decisions yeah. like they're already deciding the Yemeni people need this the Syrian people need this you know without But knowing what the people need yeah how do you know how do you know did you go and live with them did, did you find out why that's this quite happened that's quite interesting no yeah. one sees it from that side i guess exactly, a lot of people yeah. that are in journalism don't see it from they don't from, from the side of the people i remember i mean i thought part of obviously working at Ahl Bay TV and then another thing is being being Iraqi I thought I had to do something when Wait, when the whole ISIS thing yeah. started maybe I wasn't yeah. so much involved before post 2003 
here and there you know i'd read stuff about iraq but i wasn't so much involved with the whole politics yeah but i felt after the 2014 isis um felt like it was a responsibility yeah that's how i felt uh i mean i'm not a journalist but i thought i needed to do my bit and then you know whether it was doing something on twitter or making a documentary or going to iraq do you feel you were you know you said you started in 2013 <coughs> things were not so bad in iraq yeah. the, i remember it, it was, was starting it was starting because end of 2013 i was in iraq actually yeah and that's when the what they called the the, the sort of uh, uprising yeah. started in anbar with the with the, the crowds you know coming together and the, and, the, and then you know the from 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 being uh, it was building up yeah from from people people demanding for their rights all of a sudden it was this take over the government and then that's yeah. how it changed do, do, do you feel you know you, do you feel a sense of responsibility when you were delivering the news especially when it's about iraq yeah. or was it more i'm doing my job yeah it was um as i said you know during i think that same time i i felt the same uh sensation i had the same feeling about uh, about it especially when ISIS did, you know, announce their caliphate and, and Mosul fell. It felt like, you know, we all had to do something, you know, and there was, remember, there was like a huge movement of young, you know, young um, people on Twitter. They were like posting stuff about security issues, peace, blah, 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 you know. Um, but I think if I go back, because I deleted my Twitter. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But I think if I go back, there are a lot of things that we just assumed about the people about the people about the problem and it was all uh yeah this whole thing about um even after the war you know yeah like we Iraqis we're all together um and um uh the people of Mosul you know we're here to save you to rescue you you know it was like you know so exciting and you know but then okay um we rescued them, rescued. Um, if you go to Mosul now, it, it's like there's nothing there. I don't know how we call this a rescue. It's more like uh, you, you don't see anything. It's all like dis- destruction. So I don't know what part of rescuing that was. So I think we didn't we didn't listen to what people wanted. We just went ahead and assumed this was the solution. And I was part of that as well. I, and it, I admit, you know, back then... Uh, I jumped on the bandwagon and, you know, we thought, oh, yeah, it's all about peace. It's all about, you know, getting rid of ISIS, you know, bomb the place, bomb the place, bomb there, bomb there, bomb there, you know. And then when I went in 2018 and I spoke to people, they were saying this was happening for years. So it wasn't wasn't something that was there in 2014. ISIS just came out of the blue. They were abandoned for so many years. They were deprived. You're talking about people in Mosul and the surrounding areas. Surrounding areas, you know, there's no education. There is no, people don't know what what they, Okay, you know. So I realized that education is much more important than than the whole follow-up, which is, you know, a problem happens and everyone needs to know about it. Well... I mean, I, I, I don't want to get into the whole... Uh, well, maybe actually I do want to get into the whole debate of what... Of, of the whole, you know, you mentioned, you know, education and, and they were they were being deprived, the government sort of deprived them. But 
Wouldn't you say the same happened in Basra yeah, and in Najaf and trend. in Karbala? So it happened it happened everywhere in Iraq. Everywhere. It wasn't like they were deprived because they're a Mosul. No, no. It happened yeah. the whole of Iraq. Everyone was being deprived and everyone w- did not have education, we correct? Have, Let's agree exactly, on that. Exactly, yeah. So th- what's the difference between the people in the south and those in Mosul? So does that make it okay for the people? So tomorrow if people in Basra come out and declare a caliphate mm-hmm. and say we're going to take over, I don't know. I think I don't, Tikrit I don't wanna, and Oja yeah. and 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 Bar. Does that make it? Or should we say okay? You know they've got the right to you know because they've been deprived because. I think because they, I think it's it's a different. The outcome is different for every every part of Iraq. Uh, for example, in Basra, again the schools are horrendous. The situation is really bad. Education, probably the worst place to live in the worst, Iraq the worst. at the moment is probably yeah, Basra. Exactly. But I think maybe I don't want to assume and I oil rich Basra I should mention exactly it's even more devastating and no because um, they they feel this this government is predominantly Shia that maybe okay they still represent us and somehow they get I don't want to get say they get put off from from sort of revolting or from yeah. for asking for their for their for their rights yeah it's it feels like okay they 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 want to they're part of us so we uh, what if we do this then uh, then the government doesn't it's like there is this confusion you know but maybe the sunni part of iraq already feels yeah. disenfranchised with the they government they didn't feel so they don't feel there is this attachment it still anymore. doesn't give them excuse to no, to of sort of i'm not uh, saying that yeah just be making that but sure I'm, that's I'm clear. saying <laughs> that ISIS did not happen just like yeah overnight yeah of course yeah. Of it, was course it was years it was of I think if if we focus on educating people then <clears throat> we prevent the problem from escalating and I'm sure like I, I can't say that we can fully eliminate radicalization and 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 we can fully uh, secure that no ISIS will happen ever again we can't say that, but if we do our our role, and I don't know how the situation in Basra could have been. I mean, there could be something else coming out of it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I know that p- people are so frustrated all over Iraq. You know, with the current situation, and and I think it's not just Iraq. I mean, it's the whole region. Um, so you realizing that you know, I'm part of. I'm quoting you part yeah. of the of of this problem. Was was that? Something you, when you were on the ground, something you picked up on yeah. from the, from speaking to people on the ground, or was it was it you know seeing seeing the news and how it was, you know I always say this someone could be your a friend of yours today and then they're your enemies tomorrow so it's, yeah. it's you know politics is always changing, or was it more being on the ground because you know if if, if it's being on the ground, then you know. Every news outlet, every channel, every every media platform has journalists on the ground. So, yeah. without mentioning, I don't know, CNN, BBC, exactly. every every outlet will have a journalist on the ground. Exactly, and it's the journalist on the ground that's sort of telling the people what's happening there and telling the world through Definitely. their platform what's happening there. Are they are they misleading us? No, no, I'm I'm not saying that journalism needs to be just you know shoved in a corner and we okay. don't need it anymore. Okay. No, I'm sure there are so many people who are genuinely doing a great job. I went with Patrick Coburn to Anbar, and um, <coughs> and he's one of the very um, you know um, 
unique journalist who really he talks to people and you you see him engaging and his stories are very much from from the ground you know mm-hmm. and it's not um it's not based on a specific agenda so i can say that about so many journalists and but personally mm-hmm. i didn't feel like i was um contributing to yeah, something I wasn't that was enough of an influence or i wasn't an influence on a solution do you know what i mean Maybe did, did that sort of feeling come about when sort of ISIS sort of finished? Because maybe before, before when ISIS was there, you you know whether it was your tweets, your yeah, you know, delivering the news, you yeah. had a role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe because your role was that part of also you thinking that you know that it could be, it could be that I felt like mm, okay, I don't want to be just repeating everything I said during that time. Okay, now it's it's more like post ISIS period and it's i i did feel like okay maybe i'm not really that influential anymore although people they were they did say even when i deleted my twitter and facebook they were like oh we miss you on there you know you used to post interesting things but then it became so confusing as well after isis like you don't know where the right and wrong is you know i'm not saying that it's with isis no, no i'm not okay. saying that at all but i'm saying so many other problems okay we got rid of isis we don't have them as an excuse anymore although they are very much still present but i felt like there are other th- issues that came out and those issues were much more controversial you don't know where right and wrong is and and i felt like i felt like i needed to be educated more um so i started going on the ground more i started going and speaking to people hearing their stories and that's when i realized okay if i can't get their stories out there effectively then what's my role what's the point was the point you know and and i did see that a lot of other people are doing it and they're very good and i really respect them a lot and i think you know journalism is still very very important but i i wanted a bit if you want i wanted a micro level <laughs> um contribution like something that is going to make a difference and yeah. you can see it it makes sense it like makes even sense. if it was just to support a group of people that i met there and mm-hmm. i know that what i'm going to do I'll have an effect 20, on yeah 20 years down the line they're going to say yeah you used to helped us in the beginning there and then we we managed to you you met a lot of displaced people yeah uh, a lot you know what what was the situation cuz very bad i went to a few idp camps in internally displaced camps mm-hmm. <laughs> um in mosul uh i went to one in uh, it's not really a camp in in indiala Mm-hmm. and i just i saw that most of these camps were women and children um and young people and they really they they don't have a future it's literally intense they they yeah, living very. i mean in one of the camps there were like 20000 people that's wow. a lot of people you know and when i spoke to them most of them their homes were destroyed by by bombings Um, right, uh, who's who's done, who's doing the bombings? <laughs> the coalition. Okay. <laughs> and um you know, and they were saying we happen to be in this place where ISIS decided this was their caliphate. It's not something that we wanted, but we happen to be there and we're collateral damage. And you know, and and because a lot of them are women and children, I say you you know, how can they have a say in this? Are some of them families of ISIS or 
some of them are. But I, they're in the soul in the same camp. You can't distinguish this person. Was yeah. I mean, I spoke to a guy, a young guy, and he was he had an amazing story to tell. He was one of the people who used to, um, uh, he used to traffic or whatever you want to say, rescue families from Mosul. And he ha- he was like a in, inside a link with the Iraqi army, mm-hmm. so he had a link with the Iraqi army, and he he would rescue families. So he was amazing. He was only in his twenties. Wow. So. You know, like when I look up to these people, I said he's only 20 and his contribution to the problem was much greater than me. So he rescued like at least six families and then ISIS fi- found out about him and they sentenced him to death <coughs> if, we, if, he had to, if he were to go back. And he found out that the guy who sentenced him or was part of this sentencing was his neighbor, all-time neighbor. Whoa. And then uh, he told me, and he's with us in the camp. I said, the guy who sentenced you to death is in the camp. He said he's not one of the main people, but he's there. He was he was one of the witnesses of the sentencing. And he's in the same camp. And he's in the same camp with us. I see him every day. I have to live with him. And I think that's just so difficult. You know, like you look, you look a person in the eye every day who was going to be there to witness your death. You pushed for your death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and and I said, how do you feel about that? He said, well, I have to just live with it, you know? Like, you know, we're, we're over this now. And I said, do you forgive him? He said, it's not about forgiving. It's about what do I do about it? I just have to live, you know? I have to find uh, solutions for my life, for my family's life, and for the people who live here the next generation he points to the children he says it's for them i feel wow a 20 year old speaks like this and he's just willing to just put aside all these grievances and say okay whatever i'm gonna do it's for those young people who are gonna be you know the, the it's, it's, it's touching you're sharing these stories um a lot of people that that were involved <laughs> in, in in speaking about isis and and the formation of the Hashid and the, the, the role of the army within Iraq, mm. uh, whether it was, you know, Iraqis or people that were part of the of, of the whole trend at the time, or even journalists. Yeah. Not a lot is focused right now on what's happening in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, you know, there's a lot happening everywhere else. But, you know, ISIS. Yeah. There are a few ISIS pockets here and there. Definitely. Not that they've come out and said um, that, that they're calling for another caliphate, but they're still in, yeah. in hiding. How do you see? Because a lot of people think it's over, ISIS are finished, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a new government which was elected last year. Um, not that a lot of people are now for the elections. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing 40% or something like yeah, that. So it was, really it was the lowest, lowest turnout since post 2003. Anyway. How do you see, and so we move on to other things, because I'm. Uh, this, if we can talk about politics, all we'll, I know we'll, we'll take ending. that. It's never <laughs> ending. How do you see uh, Iraq now? You know, for those, especially that you know, you visit quite a lot. Uh, you were you were part of the the, the journalists that that yeah. that that went for a few conferences in Iraq. Um, how do you see Iraq post ISIS? I see a glimpse of hope. Um, 
Because I feel like there are so many problems. We can't deny it. I mean, there are so many problems. But I think maybe now that people have a bit of stability, especially in Baghdad, because uh, last time I went was in December, when they have a bit of stability, they can actually turn their attention on um, on solving civil civil problems you know problems that are inside their institutions because corruption is a major thing in iraq and i think now that there is a bit of stability people are paying attention and they are saying oh we need we need solutions we need corrupt leaders to be scrutinized we need mm-hmm. this we need that there are not a lot of them but it, it's happening you know i i when i went to a lot of the meetings in Iraq um, involving a lot of youth leaders this is their aim we want to we want to you know advocacy you know we want to change laws reform you know you know even electoral uh, the elections they feel like it was a lot of that was fraud you know that's what mm-hmm. they want they want to reform that so now their attention is more on reforming this and i've heard so many people say the constitution needs to change mm-hmm. yeah, that's a I good know. thing yeah, you know it's, it's a very good people thing. are now looking beyond the the just survival you know we just want to survive we just want our ki- kids they want to change change. now they want change now because they feel like the safety is to an extent uh, you know there so now their focus is going to be on reform you know and i hope i really hope i that's still okay. believe that education is a huge part of that I agree. Um, not just education, as in educating people, raising awareness about their roles, their citizenship, mm-hmm. you know. And if we really want a true democracy in Iraq, if that's what we're going going for and that's what we want, then we need people who... It needs to happen bottom-up, you know. Uh, we need people who are actively involved in establishing this democracy. We can't keep relying on our oh, political parties, political allegiances, you know. It's just going to be the same story again. Talking of education, I'm sure I don't know if you if you read, but uh, it was I think a few weeks ago that the uh, Iraq's Baghdad University made it into the global list yes. ranking. That's amazing. Which, which was really amazing. Yeah, you know, I felt really proud yeah, seeing that. So, so, so you're talking about education. So that's something that matters. Someone sitting on on the edge now. Yeah. They're about to go into university, or even someone that's just finished their A-levels, it's a summer holiday, they've got another year of A-levels. Or, oh or would you encourage them, I'm sorry I'm asking you this, would you encourage them to go into journalism? I mean, a lot of people that have asked me about media, I've always said yes, you know, media is the big yeah, thing, it's, it's, it's happening, yeah. especially with, you know, social media. But journalism... You, and you've done it. You, you know, it depends what their goal in life is. Uh, I always say that. I know it's like a huge statement. I'm Especially kidding. that you did it. Sorry, you did yeah. a different. Yeah, I did a completely different degree. Yeah, degree. That's why I felt and like I was distracted almost. Because okay. even when I was doing the degree, uh, Human Rights and International Relations, I went into that degree because I wanted to work in NGOs. It, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> I went into media when my role my my goal was to go into ngos and when i when i graduated the first um if you want not job but voluntary job i did was at the refugee council uh, for about six months and i liked it a lot but i don't know how i 
somehow drifted off and got into media. I'm not saying that media is a horrible place to be, but it wasn't for me. So I think it all depends on what their passion is, what their goal in life is. Maybe they are great writers. Maybe they they have... Because um, some people, they have this charismatic... Um, personality that maybe they can persuade people and they can why not I mean they're the voice of people I don't know um I, we can say that but maybe I I didn't feel like I was I was influential enough you know to be part of that I don't know maybe I'm underestimating myself <laughs> so, so now coming to to, to to what you're doing now yeah um but before I want to get into the whole NGOs uh, how difficult or easy is it to change career? I mean, I I, this is, I, I feel probably the, the, the toughest thing for any person. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, but I want to hear your answer first. <laughs> How difficult or easy is it if you're in a field? For so long. For so long, yeah. and where you, you're an expert in. Yeah. You've, you've, done, you've done a good job in it, and you yeah. probably can continue doing what you're doing at a different, uh, with a different platform. Yeah. Yeah. You chose to, to change careers and and go back to what you had intended to yeah, do. Yeah, it's very difficult, especially because you ha- you haven't really built a base for it. You don't have that foundation. Mm-hmm. So I think you just have to trust yourself and and take that risk anyway. But I think you have to be very sure that this is really what you want. Like, not just this is what you want. There is no other thing. Like this is what I want. This is what I realized when I came back from all those trips, and I realized education is something that I want to be part of, not media. And I, I, I found out, or not found out. It was like a epiphany. I don't know what what to call it. That this was my thing. You know, I wanted to be part of educating people. And I read this book by this Brazilian um, sociologist, Paulo. Uh, I have to just find it. It's it's about how people can be liberated through education. It's just the same Brazilian that influenced you. No. Okay, okay. They just making sure. Be. Okay. See, everything fits in. It's like... No, it's like a puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, it's called. Okay, nice. It's a very interesting book. And a friend of mine recommended it. And uh, when I read the book, and I said, wow, this... Education is so important. We have to just look at South Korea and countries like the, who went through so much and they invested in education and that mm-hmm. became that their success story. So it, it was difficult changing fields, but I think once you decide and once you make this your goal in life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will find ways to fit you there, you know, and open doors for you. And especially if you have a niya hasana or a good intention, you genuinely, this is what you want, not because you want more money, but that's not your, you're not changing your career because, and maybe, you know, you want to change your career because you, you do want more money and that's fine, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But if that's your true intention and you want to say, I'm going to rely on God to to guide me into this new journey, then just be confident about it. Don't regret, because that's it. You're going to go into it, and there's no coming back. And and I really find that Allah will find ways to to support you and 
And if you have good people around you, always, I, I always emphasize on this, fi- find people who support you no matter what, because that will make such a huge difference. And my friends, my family, and, and even the people who, um, the people I had from the media field, they, they were very supportive as well. So I had a good so a push. If, uh, so if, if 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 I'm around people and I we're going a bit off topic and that's not what the yeah. question I want. If I'm around people that are not really supporting mm-hmm. my decisions and and what I'm doing, I should I should look for new people. No, um, you yeah. have to. You will know if these people genuinely um have your 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 um. <laughs> your best uh, best interest like some people might say no this is not a great idea and you shouldn't do it and you take it on board maybe you you study it a bit more because mm. for example my dad was one of the people who was not really on board of this change because mm-hmm. when i entered media he was with me in this yeah, journey yeah, he supported you yeah. quite a lot so like suddenly me shifting off and going into a different field for him it was like oh it's too risky and you've already developed a lot of skills in this field so he wasn't really feeling I took it on board but then you make this decision at the end and I know that if they really really love you no matter what decision you make they will also be there to support you no matter what even if they don't agree with it they would they would say okay this is what you decided we respect it we're going to be there to support you that's what i mean but if they're just going to say no man <laughs> such a loser <laughs> all the time then you know okay you need to change friends i know <laughs> people you hang around chill mate <laughs> so you know ngos non-profit organization that's um, independent of from from governments that's sort yeah. of how you describe it am i right yeah uh, and was uh, not to go into so much details because again there's so much to talk about but um what how how is this different to what you were doing before uh it's very i'm gonna say it's very micro um you feel like okay uh for example where my role now is project manager and development manager so i develop projects for a certain need a problem and they seem very uh, small, but you feel like, okay, but if this works, it's going to have long-term effects. For example, one of the projects we worked on or we are working to introduce um, is on mental health in Iraq and okay. post-traumatic disorders because people went through so much trauma following wars and conflict. And this is a huge problem in Iraq, in Iraq. And when I was doing the research, it, it was very much neglected. And there is like this stigma attached as well to, oh, we don't talk about it. We, we don't talk about mental health. We just deal with it. And it's ordinary people that are dealing with it, not crazy lunatics and who, who end up in psychiatric hospital. No, people and children who are going about their daily lives, they are traumatized and there was a there was a very good documentary done by the bbc it's called iraq a country in trauma i really recommend everyone to watch it mm-hmm. i went on the opening uh, for that documentary and it, it was directed by um, a kurdish uh, a young kurdish director and it's it's an eye-opener about how so many people suffer from this mental health is a huge issue in iraq and if we don't recognize this as a problem we're probably gonna have 
another ISIS. I don't want to say that. But yeah, it's... it's. Um, I mean, mental health is a huge thing everywhere at yeah. the moment. So, you know, um, but there's, I feel like living in, in the UK and even when I travel to the US and parts of Europe, there is something getting done about mental health. mental health and there's always this this awareness and this is the the, the, this the is first recent. step yeah, the very, first step is is actually to raise awareness yeah. about mental health uh and then then the second step is 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 to try and deal with people suffering from it and all the, all the other met- methods but th- you've touched on something so so important is and i see this in iraq as yeah. well is Let's not talk about it. Yes. Mental health. No, 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 no. He, there's nothing wrong with this person. And you're like, no, but what if there is? Th- what if there is? And they're like, no, no, no. He'll, he'll, he'll grow out of him, or yeah. he'll, 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 he'll mature. It's just, yeah. a, it's just the phase he's going through. Let him go for ziyarat at Karbala, and he'll oh, be fine. Go. And you know, he'll come back. He'll be okay. And. I mean, are there even any mental health doctors out there or mental there health? There's only uh, one psychiatrist psychi- hospital in Iraq, and it's only for those who are really, really crazy that they would hurt people and others. And that's why it's there because they would hurt others. So, but yeah. those that are suffering, there is. I mean, there are mental health clinics in some of the areas uh, around Mosul, but again, it's temporary. For example, there there are clinics for those who are. Um, survivors of torture and mm-hmm. th- i know that the yazidi community went through so much so there are yeah. like specific but yeah. they're like uh I- projects by international ngos and and you know they finish the project and that's it they go they leave and the problem is still there. still there you know mental health is not something that oh it's it's two years and they should be fine it it needs to be something that the whole community supports you know, I remember telling my um, manager, uh, I was explaining to her why this is such an important subject. And I was telling her, once tribal leaders, communities, parents, teachers, they all recognize that this is a problem in their community. They're going to be part of that treatment Solution. and healing process. Mm-hmm. So if they're not, if it's just an NGO who will just give them the medication or they'll give them the treatment and then leave... And then they go back into the community. And again, the community has the stigma. We go back mm-hmm. to square one, if not worse. Yeah. Because now you're, you're coming out and then nobody's Support. accepting you and supporting you. And then you go back to this dark place. And it's horrible for the people who suffer from this. And so I, the project was specifically tackling the stigma and, and raising awareness on mental health in Iraq. So it's like a small solution to a big problem. So that's why when you were saying like how do we how do you how do I see myself? It's like starting from small solutions, but we know that the effect is going to it's going to have a huge huge impact on hopefully <laughs> the crisis. Uh, yeah, and so uh, again I repeat it's, it's still raising the awareness yeah. following from what you said, you know, it's, it's, it's getting the tribal leaders getting the the, yeah, the scholars parents. the religious scholars yeah. the, the 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 parents getting getting everyone on board to try and understand that this is a serious issue that can't be dealt with by saying go lock yourself up in, yeah. at home or yeah. do this or, or you know or go ziara, or go ziara <laughs> and not saying that doesn't no, help but of, but does. there's you know for just like when um, when you get a flu or when you get any other yeah. illness, you'll go. You'll get the correct doctor. treatment. Yeah, exactly. You'll go to the doctor and you'll ask for the correct treatment. Definitely. Uh, the same. The same applies, I think, here. And 
I, I really hope because uh, again this is something that I, I witnessed as well firsthand uh, when I visited some parts of um, uh, areas that were taken up by ISIS and visited some camps in, in, in parts of Kurdistan I realized that a lot of people are suffering and they're suffering mm-hmm. inside and they don't want to come out and say that they have mm-hmm. a problem because it's a stigma so inshallah I hope that yeah, things definitely. will improve yeah, hopefully we with, get the fund for it. <laughs> with, with your help, I, I I really hope you do. Um, changing careers, does does that? Do you have to change other things in your life? Does your lifestyle sort of change yeah. when you when you sort of change careers? Do you stop hanging or do you stop doing the same things you were doing? I'm like, when, for example, you you're in med you're in you're in media. You you have to check Twitter every day. As, yeah. as soon as you wake up, you're on your phone. I'm gonna go on Twitter and then you check. The, the, the your whoever news you follow yeah. it, it, do you does your lifestyle sort of change when you've sort of changed careers and how has your depends if it's something completely different then i do advise that um you get rid of old habits you know for me it was being on on my phone a, a lot of the time everyone um, has that problem i know Twitter, Facebook, social media. So I deleted my Twitter because it was associated to the job I used to do. I deleted Facebook as well. I removed myself from a lot of WhatsApp groups. (laughs) I wish I can do that. (laughs) Especially the ones to to do with media. So yeah, you do start this journey fresh and you you need this freshness. If you don't have the motivation... Um, it will be very difficult. So something that I did was train jiu-jitsu. <laughs> oh, okay. The, the whole Brazilian thing started. Yeah. Was that the same time sort of you left your... Same your time. I started my job in January and that's when I... What joined. inspired you to get into that? How how did you even get into that? Did you even know... You know, I didn't know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was. That's what I was going to say. Did you even know what jiu-jitsu <laughs> is? But I had a chat with um, my brother who was doing it before me and younger or older brother? younger brother okay. and he was in uni and he, i was describing to him my job and i was like there's a lot about you know problem solving and then he was like you know what why don't you and he knew i was always into combat sports but i never had the courage to actually go on on any of the you know trials or whatever he knew i, I was always into combat sports and self-defense and all that and he was like why don't you try brazilian jiu-jitsu because it's it's not really um you don't require a lot of strength it's all about problem solving it's like solving a puzzle and when he was describing it to me i said i'll talk more about it and he was like yeah you do this you do that and it started you know it's like a combat sport that starts from the ground it's a full-on contact sport right full-on contact is very much ground-based so basically you pull your opponent to the ground and that's when your fight starts basically and it's different from other combat sports because you use a lot of techniques and leverage and and you don't have to be big and muscly you know so for women it's a great thing everyone do it (laughs) no i'm joking (laughs) but so you've been involved eight seven eight months since yes it's now seven months yeah and i love it it's like so after that little talk with your brother you thought that's it i'm gonna why not and i'm one of those people that (laughs) likes to try new things (laughs) i just go straight away i was like searching because because 
the conversation I had with my brother was very interesting how he was talking about this whole problem solving and and he said you know this is a new challenge in your life so maybe you need something that will you know help you mentally because you're going to be very frustrated if you don't feel like you're doing the right thing you might go through regrets and did you look at other martial arts like before yeah, you I thought did. of jiu-jitsu before yeah. you said i'm definitely going to do this yeah what did you look i at? looked a lot i mean i i just searched self-defense but i mean before i had the discussion with my dad uh, brother um i, was I don't think you had the discussion with no. dad about jiu-jitsu. <laughs> no, definitely not i was looking into other self-defense and you know there were martial arts and there was something called crag crab maga uh But when I talked to my brother about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I found that this was the thing that I wanted to do. And I quickly looked up um, women's only classes and then there was this um, free trial that you can go on to um, in Fulham. It was It's so far from my house, but it still went anyway. I don't know, something, something just told me, go, try it. And I went for the trial and I really liked it because the, the coach was telling me about the story of... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, how it started. It was one of the weaker bro- the weaker brothers of the Gracies. And his older brothers or his more stronger brothers, they were doing Jiu-Jitsu and he was the weaker one and he was fragile and he was like... So he founded this through technique, through, you know, finding loopholes, getting yourself out of a tricky situation. And it was very interesting. And then... I I used to take two classes a day and now I'm taking six classes a day. <laughs> six classes? So, uh, sorry, a week. Six classes a week. From two classes a week to six classes a week. And, and so what do you want to achieve in the long run, do you think, from, from Jiu-Jitsu? Well, I'm going for that black belt. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's different colored belts, just like yeah. all my... Uh, so yeah. what other colors? It's really like um, perfecting this art. I see it as an art. So there is white belt. Currently, I'm white belt. And you get four stripes on your white belt. I have three now. So you're one away from the fourth. One away from the fourth. But y- you stay in each each belt for a long time until you develop the okay. skills then you go to blue belt then from blue belt you go purple then brown then black but it could take from between 10 to 15 years to get a black belt you know a lot of people might find this weird because it's like putting iraqi to one side the fact that you're iraqi you're probably the only iraqi female there is actually a lot I the, I, i'm sure there is but maybe not hijabi uh, yeah and hijabi are you are you the only hijabi in, no, no. Ha- there are two others because it's a woman's only yeah. so yeah there's yeah. The yeah there are two others they bangladeshi uh younger than me obviously mm-hmm. um but we have a huge uh woman um group in the academy where i Okay. where I train and that's a good thing because now they're like family you know I really okay. associate myself with them and we all are unique and different and mm-hmm. from different backgrounds and it's such a diverse place and everyone has different problems different age groups so it's, it's very interesting and it's it's that freshness that I was looking for when I changed the job And it was very... Did fresh. you like it from the beginning? You know, your first lesson, if you, you went in and <laughs> did you think, oh no, this is not for me. And then you started to get into it. My first lesson was a disaster. <laughs> I'm going to share it just so that people have expectations. Um, so I went to the first session and um, 
and I'm not very I'm not an active person like I cycle I do these things but I'm not an active person and the first session I went to and I was like going in and I'm sort of like yeah man I'm not gonna show them I'm like this <laughs> I'm gonna show them that I, I can do this you know and the the warm-up was crazy it was so difficult and tough and it was like jump from here and jump from there and it was like I was like this is the warm-up we haven't even Imagine started start. and uh, apparently that warm-up with that coach was one of the most tough warm-ups and I happened to be there on my first session. your first session yeah, was 7 a.m as well and I, I had like a bowl of porridge <laughs> so we finished the warm-up and then after the warm-up we stand in a line uh, against the wall and then the drill starts something that <clears throat> uh, the coach will explain a position and then you go and practice that position so I remember listening to the coach and then suddenly his voice started going like mumble like it's like going slow motion it was like wah, wah, wah. <laughs> no you fainted I was yeah and the room started turning I was like what's happening and suddenly oh. I heard bang <laughs> And I fainted. Oh, no. You know, and then everyone was around. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> a good, good first session then. <laughs> I know, and ever since. And then ever since then, you thought, I'm going to do this. Uh, this is the best. I came back the next day and I was like, well, good. You came back. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm anemic as well. So I have to eat well before I go to a, a session. So ever since, every time my coach sees that um, you're about to faint and then she's like are you all right <laughs> i'm okay I'm okay but no i'm i'm much better now yeah i don't faint okay good to hear <laughs> a lot of people are going to are going to be watching this or hearing yeah. uh, hearing this and they're going to be like especially uh, you know the, the hijabis out there they're going they're going to feel inspired i hope so yeah i hope do, so do, or they're going to think wow that's uh, or you, do you see yourself i mean want to put you on the spot do you see yourself sometimes maybe that what you're doing you will will get more sisters more hijabis into 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 the self-defense sport i hope so um really. and do you see yourself you know encouraging others to do this i really hope so because i think um i think we i don't want to make this a you know exaggerate um that there is this problem but i think hijabis are vulnerable um, there is a Islamophobia problem we have and and hijabis are the first target of these attacks um, because, you know, they they carry the symbol. So I do think that self-defense is very important. I don't I don't necessarily say, oh, everyone do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but some some self-defense would be very important, you know, to know that, OK, if you're not going to fight the person at least get into a better situation okay. survive at mm -hmm. least run away <laughs> but you know this is what brazilian jiu-jitsu tell uh, taught you know teaches you from the beginning that okay you might not be in the best situation you might not be like fighting but at least you're not in the worst situation you get out of it so i think it's important there is also another aspect of Brazilian jiu-jitsu that I think is so important for women is that they get to be less worried about physical appearance because when you go there with other ladies you're not concerned about how you look literally the scarf I'm wearing is so ugly <laughs> when I wear it that it's a sports scarf you don't put makeup because you're not allowed makeup 
um, in in the on the mat because it will get on your gi and then your gi will you need to have a, a, a clean gi all the time. You're not allowed to grow your nails. <clears throat> you're always um, uh, your focus is always on the technique, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the combination of women who are with me, all their concern is how to perfect their fighting skill, their self. It's like a self-improving process. Mm-hmm. So I do hope that women become more part of these um, these activities that help them to focus on their inside rather than how they look. Because we do have this dilemma. You know, women do focus a lot on how they look and it's causing a lot of depression for so many young girls, I know. So, because yeah, they take their role models from what they see on social exactly, media. Yeah, and if if your role model is a perfectly looking, gorgeous girl all the time, you're going to be feeling so depressed if you if you don't fit in that category. But if your role model is like someone who's just wearing a gi and you know they look horrible, <laughs> and but but she's still you know achieving so much. I'm not saying that I will be that role model, but there there are so many out there. I think that's more healthy. On on the other side of of the, the scale, where you have those that will um, say, you know, why is she doing this? She's in hijab, and how is it? How easy is it to 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 pursue such endeavors like you know going and doing jujitsu, considering the the cultural yeah. plus the religious uh, expectation and boundaries that you have that, or because even though as you mentioned, it's an all women's class, but yeah. You know, did, did you face those? I mean, we we face challenges all the time, yeah, and and we, we if, if you start concentrating on what people have to say, then you you won't live. That's how I. That's yeah. that's sort of my the way I see things. Because if you always pick up on this guy said this and this person said that, and then you won't sort of live your life. Yeah, definitely. So how how easy is it is it for you to to uh, have you had any negative negativity from you know being the hijabi on one side a Muslim? Yeah. And then on the other side, you know, an Iraqi, because, you know, of course. Uh, I mean, surprisingly, I mean, when I was going into it, I, w- I did have this fear um, because our community, we're not used to, you know, women being in combat sports. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly, everyone has been very positive. And um, even like um, in my family, the, the 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 guys in my family, my husband, everyone has been very supportive because they they do see that your intention is purely to you know go and enjoy yourself really and you're surrounded by other women even if you go into competition you're gonna only fight women so there is no concern there and and you're a full hijab you're wearing full hijab exactly yeah maybe your feet will show but then this is this is this is this is you if 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 your limits are this if your limits you say my limits i don't want this to be my hijab then that's fine but if your intention is purely okay i'm carrying this hijab and you know in fact i think it's it's a good thing that more more hijabis are going into this mm-hmm. because that way you carry this you know you're responsible you know it's a responsibility and in fact, um, my professor always, when we when we wrestle, you get into very uncomfortable situations. Like there is a lot of pressure on your face, and sometimes your hijab is get you know gets pulled back, and and your hair comes out. And my professor, she's very understanding, and she always says, "Stop, 
you start fix yourself, then go back to to wrestling. She supports. So uh, there is a huge understanding. I remember at one time we were doing these flips and my scarf came off, and she stopped the class straight away and she said, "Everyone, stop. Let's just g- give Yusra a chance to." Um, Even though it's an all women's class, yeah, as well. but exactly, yeah. but because you know there are still men who come in um, sometimes uh, who work there, but you know I'm still in full, in full hijab. But she she makes it a priority that every single lady in her class is comfortable. You know, um, if someone has a certain disease, if we have certain injuries, we always get injured. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some some tape around. Yeah, that's just skin. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you get to grab a lot, so the skin gets really dry there. I just want to know. I mean, I have. I if, if I have if I have to say, you know what challenge or problem i face on a on, is, is is actually managing to manage my time i know i mean that's that's alhamdulillah all praise to allah recently i've sort of been able to sort of put a schedule that i'm going to be doing this at this time but you know generally managing your time is, is very difficult yeah. now now your wife mother <laughs> um working working um, two beautiful children, two beautiful yeah, sons, so mashallah. Yeah. Uh, their names are Ali and Zain. Ali and Zain. Yeah. Um, and how do you? How do you? And now you just you said six six, six times a week. <laughs> I know. So that's six days. You're because I'm in a competition in, a, in, in and all the way in Fulham. You know, the yeah, travel so time. I'm guessing is like an hour. An hour exactly. An hour. How do you manage to to you know to to keep? I think you said make it time. correctly. Find your schedule. Plan your time. I think it all comes down to planning. I mean, I'm I'm very lucky that I have a good support network, my family, and also my boys are quite old now and independent. Not independent; they're still very young, but eight and a half, six and a half. I mean, they're not. That's babies. not independent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not babies. Okay, got me worried now for a second. So they go to school. Okay, I mean, they they are in full time school. So I plan it. It does mean that you have to prioritize. Um, so what what's your priority? And then find um, the time to fit everything in. And it, it does mean that if I want to go to some of the classes, I have to wake up at 5 a.m., get ready and leave at 6. Um, because that's the only time I can do. Because in the evenings, I have to be with my family, with my kids. So I can't do any of the evening classes. So it's either the 7 a.m. classes or no other classes. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people say, yeah, how do you find how do you find the motivation to wake up at five in the morning and leave at six to get to a class to get smashed? <laughs> Literally, that's what it is. So uh, I don't know if this is your passion, you will find the time and you will find the motivation to do it. Do you sometimes feel that you're not available for your kids (laughs) as much as you'd like to be do you Um, maybe maybe that was the case maybe even when you were working with the the whole journalism oh yeah that's definitely one of the reasons why i I left it yeah because i remember there was there was those days i saw you with the kids uh, in the office because yeah because uh, i used to long i used to work longer hours when i was in uh, journalism germany (laughs) journalism and uh when you're a journalist, 
you have to always be following the news, what's happening. So you take your job back home with you as well. You're always on the phone. So that's what that's another reason why I felt very, very much frustrated with it because I felt like there was there was never a time where I just disconnect and just disconnect from the job. I, w- I had to be always there. With this job, no, when I go home, I'm with my family. I'm with with my kids and there are no expectations that I ca- I take it with me back home unless we have a deadline or something which doesn't happen that often. And um, my manager is very understanding. So at the moment when they when when they have a summer holiday, I get to work two days from home. So that's that's so important. You know, this understanding that I'm a mother, I have all these responsibilities. It's very important. And as I said, I have a good support network. I have two two my two sisters and uh, my mother. They always help me. But yeah, I also have to find the time to take my kids to football club. My son Ali is really into football. This is what he wants. It's to <laughs> so be a football player. It's to be a football player. Which team does he want to play for? I think he said um, Tottenham or Liverpool. I'm okay. not sure. Okay, you're not good with the football, <laughs> no, are you? Because Tottenham and Liverpool are two different teams. Okay, you can't be away. <laughs> I don't know. Which he, okay. he mentions it all the time, and okay. so. And he also keeps changing as well. <laughs> okay. He's like his mother. He likes to change. Juventus, he says my, once. I'm not okay, sure yeah, yet. Italian team. Yeah, so he's really into football. He's always outside playing, which I think is good. You yeah, know, he has yeah, a passion. Course. So um, I have to make sure that it's not just about my passions. It's about my kids' passions as well. So you've kind of balanced the whole yeah. jiu-jitsu, work exactly. and family so yeah, if I don't answer your messages because I'm too oh. busy, <laughs> but no, I try to make time. And my younger son, he's still very young, so he doesn't really have this, um, um, you know, he's just still very young playing and all that. But yeah, I take them to clubs and stuff, and you know, I try to do the work in jujitsu when they're mm-hmm. in school. Okay, great. Or when they're sleeping. <laughs> You know, having a career and being a mother, you know, I feel I feel now there's there's a demand for the 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 society sort of demands women to have a career, oh, even if they're if they're if they're mothers. Yeah, definitely. If if you you're like, oh, how how come you're not working? Well, I'm looking after my child. It, it doesn't work that way. You're supposed yeah. to have always. Do you think there's a lot of pressure on women to have a career? Or there is. is yeah, I think. I mean. London is very, um, it's it's a very tough place to live. Honestly, I think um, if you, most in most of the cases, the two parents have to work um, to make a living. But if you if you can manage, I think motherhood is a is an amazing thing. And I actually, when I look back, and I started working when my son was quite young. He was like nine months. I do regret, I do regret it. Um, I missed on his first steps. I missed on his first words, you know, and you feel like, was it worth it? But then you have to, you know, sometimes. You had no choice then. Life, just um, there are demands and, you know, you have to just support your husband sometimes. Because, yes, of course, motherhood is the most beautiful thing a woman can have. And and I, you know, mothers, they do an amazing job anyway. And I, 
in fact, I think it's one of the most difficult jobs and it's not easy. And Being a mother. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult. And you know, they say, you know, when your kids grow older, they go to school. No, it it's still difficult. You grow, you grow with your kids and the responsibilities grow because you have to be very aware. And if you don't have the support of your family, uh, I, my mom supports me a lot, then if you're a working mother, you will find it very, very frustrating. And, you know, sometimes my kids say, oh, mom, I remember I missed out on a few parents' evenings or parents' meetings at my kid's school. And when I did go on one of them, um, my son Zane was like, mom, I'm so happy that you're here. And, you know, these this means a lot for the child. And mm-hmm. and I do feel like if you can not work... <laughs> If you can afford not to work, not to yeah, work then don't then work. Motherhood, is, perfecting uh, it yeah. is already a huge task. These, you won't miss these precious moments. Yeah. With, with your, what do the kids think about you doing the whole jiu-jitsu? <laughs> um, Are they more scared of you now? No. They um, they told their friends in school that oh, our, our mother is a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. They don't know what it is, but when they see me, because um, my brother is doing it as well, so, sometimes we... we we spar and and oh mom are you gonna get hurt and i took them once with me to one of my um training uh, sessions and on that day i got injured oh no yeah it was very bad so you're either fainting or getting <laughs> yourself injured <laughs> which is usually the case and so um on the day that i took my kids i injured my thumb and so my my son ali was like mom are you okay i said no mom it's fine you know i get you know you get hurt and then you get up I think that's that actually does show them that you know resilience and you know this non-quitting attitude is very okay. important for your kids. So yeah, yeah they yeah they they like it. Um, but Ali wants to get me into football. <laughs> so it's also a sport. Yeah. Um, do you feel that you know there's also this the rise of feminism? I mean, where where are you on that on on that on that side with oh. one of because you know if so, so someone has especially the last part of this 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 this, this interview the, the whole jiu-jitsu are you are you are you are you on that no i think once you uh, mix politics with um the natural um i don't know how to say it you know th- this is naturally women find comfort in motherhood and and i'm not I, I'm not an advocate of a woman going into work because I've been there too long to think that I think I'm not saying the best place for a woman is her home, but I'm saying that if you want a woman to be comfortable, maybe it's, it's this is what meant this this is what meant for, is meant for her and the challenges that women face in employment, Oh, so difficult. You know, if I'm, if, if, if uh, again, I, uh, we'll go into a whole new topic, but I don't. <laughs> if, if a man had said that, if a man had oh said, God. you know, for a woman to feel comfortable, they should be at home, then. then um, it's for her own mental health. Uh, you know, because I do suffer a lot from being so busy all the time, but this is what I choose, you know, because I think I'm capable. Mm-hmm. But I think. So you're saying you one day you, you would want to be. Yeah, uh, I want to be home. And and I always used to say that if I could take time back and I wasn't forced to go into work, 
then I would be with my kids as long as possible at home. Um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, women have to be just home and just wait for their husband and, you know, that's all they do. No, they can still be part of something, you know, the community, they can do, you know, I think it doesn't mean that um, her role is just at home and that's it. No, women can go into so many things now, even like sports, do it. Yeah, why not? You know, uh, if you want to get into, uh, I don't know, um, make like make make the changes you want to make as as a mother and if not then i i don't underestimate any woman's role in life but i don't think that we should go around pressuring women who don't choose this as their lifestyle they want to be mothers they they they're comfortable being just mothers mm-hmm. and it's not just mothers it's already we we are the carriers of the next generation we are educating the next generation though Which Never underestimate yeah. this this thing. In fact, women uh, who perfect motherhood, I think they they make pioneers. You know, I, I travel quite a lot, especially during Muharram, and I always say that uh, whenever I see a good community, uh, or, you know, a community maybe that have youth involved or have have a kids program or have you know the youth involved in the actual program itself, running it. I always say this in in my mind. I, I might not say it to them, but I always say this is a community that has good mothers. Good mothers, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And uh, you are doing a great job uh, fitting everything in <laughs> and being a good mother. Hopefully, uh, making time for this interview yeah. as well. I know we've been trying to have you on for quite some time. And thanks for coming. Thank you. It was very interesting discussion, and I I hope that. Um, What I said was interesting, and of course, all of us we have shortcomings. I'm, um, I'm not saying that everyone should go and go do Brazilian jiu-jitsu <laughs> or change their career, you know. But I think everyone needs to find their happiness, and if their happiness is at home, at work, then be that, you know. And um, and I think we should stop judging people for choosing how they want to be happy. So. whatever makes you happy Yusra Mehdi thank you once again and hopefully we'll see you next time on the Progeny Podcast